Good morning, everyone. We are in the midst of the Advent season, and throughout the season, we, we've been approaching it in a little bit of a different way. Um, we've been revisiting all of the traditional themes of Advent as we light our candles each week. So far, we've looked at hope and love, and today we're going to turn our attention to joy. Uh, but we've been doing this um, not by going back and looking in and zooming in on all the passages that particularly surround Jesus's birth, but by looking at the stories that Jesus, God with us, shared with us. Discover what it is he has to say to us about these themes. So today, again, we're going to focus in on that little word joy that has a big impact on our lives and on our world. Um, I don't know about you all what it is that really sparks joy in you during the holiday season, but one of the most joyful parts of my holiday um, is when I go to my grandmother's house um, and we kind of all gather in, all the uncles and all the cousins, and we sit there, we've eaten a good meal, and then the stories start to be told. You know, like some of these stories have been told every Christmas since I've been born, and they'll be told every Christmas until all of us are gone, right? In fact, I kind of feel like in the Sparks family, we could have like a bingo card, you know, and it's like when the story's told, you get to put the dot on, and the first person who gets three in a row gets a special prize that night. Uh, but if you are going to have to choose that free space in the middle, you know, like the story that you know that you know that you know is going to be told every time, so you might as well go ahead and mark it, it would be this one particular story that I would say has grown to what would be legend status. Maybe you have one of those stories in your family. Uh, but because you all are, are like family to me, I'm going to share the Sparks family story with you today. All right, are you all ready for this? My dad will be here at the next service. You can check the facts of this, and who knows what other details he might give you on it. But here's how the legend goes. One day, my grandparents had to go somewhere for a very short amount of time. And so they left my, my dad and his brothers at home alone, and they had given them very specific instructions. They could not go outside and play with all of the other neighborhood kids like they always did. All right. Understood, right? But to solve the problem, what happened was all the neighborhood kids just came to their house. And they didn't come inside. They followed that rule. My, my dad and his brothers, they didn't go outside. But they gathered at the, the French doors at the back of the house. And they were talking to each other through the doors. And they decided to play a game of charades. So they're playing charades on either side of this door. And the, uh, the clue, as the legend goes, that my dad and his brothers had was William Tell. And so they took their younger brother, Steve, and they put him in the kitchen, They were because that's where those doors were, put him by the refrigerator, and they pretended to shoot an apple off his head. The problem is they had a real BB gun, and they shot him in the process. They shot him in the chest. Ouch. Okay, so th now this is where the stories diverge, and it gets interesting every time they're told, okay? Um, my dad and his older brother when they tell the story, you know, they spend a whole lot of time talking about how, like, my uncle didn't even cry, you know, but they were still concerned about him. And so they consoled him, and they took him, and they gave them all of their M&Ms in return for him not telling on them. And he agreed to this. He was not going to tell. Um, 
and he ate all the M&Ms. <laughs> However, whenever my grandparents walked in, of course, the very first thing that happens is their brother starts to cry and he tells on them, right? When he tells the story, he doesn't spend all the time, you know, talking about how they consoled him and gave him the M&Ms. When he tells the story, he talks about how, how they... Um, how they forced him to stand there so still. And over the years it grew, and it's like they blindfolded him. And, of course, he goes into the great pain of the BB and how it went all over the kitchen after it hit him. That's what he focuses on in the story. But, you know, like at this point, even though their stories kind of diverge, what they can agree on is that when my, my grandfather came home and he heard what had happened, the game was over. He took the BB gun and he wrapped it around the tree. They all agree on that detail. But when, when stories are, are retold, like different people put the exclamation point in different places, right? Uh, for my dad and his older brother, this is the, the tale of the tattletale little brother, right? Whenever my, my other uncle tells the story, the one who shot, it's the story of the cruel older sibling. But, you know, it, it kind of matters where we put our focus, right, when we're retelling that story. And, and the same is true when we come to stories in Scripture. When we retell um, very well-known, um, familiar, near-legendary stories, we can kind of do the same thing. We'll put exclamation points on different parts of the story, and that focus matters. It, it makes a difference. And so today we're going to focus in on one of those stories that, that Jesus told that has been told over and over and over again across the ages. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And if you opened up your Bible today, you will probably find that there is a nice heading over that story. And what that heading is probably going to say is this, the prodigal son. You all probably heard the story, right? But that, that title is telling because it tells you where we have tend to put the exclamation point in the story, right? As the story has been retold across the ages, much of, uh, of our time and our energy has been focused around the young son in the story. The young son who goes to his dad and he demands that he immediately give him half of his estate, which in that culture was like a big old slack, slap in the face. It was essentially the same thing as walking up to your dad and saying, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Pretty nice, right? But then to add insult to injury, the son, he takes the money that the dad didn't have to give him, but he does, and he runs with it. He goes off to this faraway country. And so in doing so, what he's doing is he is also neglecting what was his duty to care for his aging father. And so disgrace upon disgrace would have brought shame and dishonor upon his whole family. But the younger son, he wasn't done yet. He then proceeds to go off to that far off country and to squander all that he has been given away on what the Bible describes as wild living. I'll let you all fill in the blanks, all right? And so the younger son, he has gone from living high on the hog to, well, having to feed hogs just to scrape by in life. It is this dramatic swing in state of affairs as he goes from the best of times to this dire tragedy. But the drama is raised even higher whenever we stop and we remember this guy is Jewish and he's feeding hogs. No respectable Jewish person would ever go near this animal that was considered unclean. And so 
The message is coming through very clear in this story. This son has hit rock bottom. There is no further down that he can go. Except Jesus throws in one more fun fact to to make sure we're getting the point. He says this. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He wanted to eat the slop. That's how bad things had gotten. And it's in that moment that the Bible says the son came to his senses. He, he woke up and he realized that back home in his father's household, that even the servants had it better than he does. And so he comes up with this plan. He starts rehearsing this speech of what he's going to go back and say to his father. Have you all ever done this when you, you have a hard conversation you're going to have to have? Maybe you stand in front of the mirror or you like are driving down the road in your car and you start like saying out loud all the things you're going to say to try to like set something right. That's what the son does. I can just imagine him like feeding the pigs and rehearsing his speech out loud. Um, and, and this is what he came up with. This is what the son was going to say to his dad. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He knew the disgrace. He knew the dishonor. He knew the shame that he had brought up on his family. And so he's going to go back home knowing that there is just no possible way that his dad would ever welcome him back into the family as a son. And so he is going to go back and offer to just be a hired hand in the household. Now, even if you've never heard this story, you might be kind of guessing the ending at this point. Um, it's, it's maybe not as predictable as a Hallmark Christmas movie. Has anybody been watching some of those? I don't generally watch those, uh, but on the night that my youngest son, Sam, uh, was born, he, he's adopted, but I stayed in the, the room with his mother, and she watched them all night long, or she had them turned on all night long. They had given her a nice drug that helped her sleep through the night, and I was sitting there watching the Hallmark movies one after another. And um, I noticed something, you know, like they have similar plot lines, right? Here's how they typically go. There's um, a, a business, successful businesswoman from the city, and she has to go to some small town, and she just hates it, and she can't stand the way that things are there, but she has to go. And then there's some kind of disaster, like, you know, her car breaks down, or there's a blizzard, or there's something that keeps her stuck in this city, and she can't get home. And while she's there, she falls in love with some guy that's usually wearing a buffalo plaid kind of lumberjack shirt, right? And he teaches her, you know, how, how wonderful small life can be, and she just abandons her career and her life in the city, and she settles down in the small town. Did I get it right? All right, good. Okay, we're tracking. And then they kiss. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's an important, at the very end. end. You got to wait to the last possible moment. Okay, so maybe the story isn't quite that predictable, okay? But it's in the Bible, right? The Bible that's all about mercy and grace. And so it might not be surprising to us that this son who's rehearsed the speech, who's hit rock bottom, that as he's coming back, his father sees him from a far way off. And he doesn't hesitate for a moment. He takes off running for him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He throws this huge party for him. That's the story of the prodigal son as we usually tell it, right? 
We put this exclamation point on, on the younger son in the story, and we make it kind of like a story about us. You know, a story about how all of us can go our own way at times, how we can get off track, but how God is always there waiting to welcome us back. And that's, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's not wrong. That is definitely there. That's a part of this story. But I think when we put the exclamation point there, that there's some other parts of the story that we can miss out on as well. And so some other people, you know, they've gone back and they looked at this story and they said, you know, we should really call this story not the story of the prodigal son, but the story of the two lost brothers. Because, you know, remember, this is the younger brother who goes off, right? That means there's an older brother in the story as well. Um, sometimes we miss him because he doesn't really come up in the story until the very end, but he's kind of like there lurking in the background the entire time. Uh, Rembrandt has done a beautiful painting of this, this scene in scripture, and the older brother is the one over here to the right. Does he look excited, you guys? <laughs> no, right? He's, he's not. He's not excited about his younger brother coming back home. In fact, his hands in the painting, they're crossed, um, and that's kind of like a sign of judgment, not jubilation. Um, and in the parable, you know, he, he makes it very clear to his father how he feels about his son coming back and, and um, having this big party thrown for him. This is what he says. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Spoken like a true firstborn, right? And I can say that because I am one, all right? Firstborns, they tend to, like, put this high value on being responsible, right? Uh, we, we think that, that we should be well-behaved and we need to do all the, the right things in the right way. And it kind of perturbs us when other people don't get with the program. And then, to make matters worse, when they don't get with the program and they just get away with it, like, that's just like outrageous stuff for us, right? Like, where is the justice? And this firstborn is no different. He cannot believe the audacity of his dad throwing a party for his brother who has so misbehaved. However, the truth is the older son, he was just as lost as his brother was, just in a different way. You know, he's been so focused on like, following all these rigid rules that he's missed out on this relationship. You know, he's failed to see the gift that he's had the entire time. He's been there with his father every single day, and all that his father had was already his. He could have thrown a party anytime he wanted to, yet he had missed it. And so taken together, we'll sometimes look at the story, and it's like, don't be like either of these two sons, right? Don't be rebellious and don't be resentful. Don't, don't go either of those directions in your relationship with God. And again, I don't think that that's wrong, you know, to, put the, to, to focus in on those parts of the story. But can I tell you guys a little secret? <laughs> the brothers, they aren't the real star of this show, okay? <laughs> and when we focus in on them, we miss out on the most important character of them all the father of them both. It is his joy that is truly at the heart of this story. 
The two uh, stories that come before this in Luke, they tip us off to this. So we have the story of a lost sheep, and we have the story of a lost coin. And even though the, these people who have lost these things have more of those things, they, they just go all out searching. They will not stop until they have found what has been lost. And when they find it, what do they do? They call all their friends, all their neighbors, and they throw this huge party. It is this, this scene of great joy over that one thing that was lost being found once more. And so it's no different in the story um, that, that follows, in the story of what we call the prodigal son. Listen again to the father's reaction of his son coming home. He says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. You guys, whenever I, I read that, it kind of makes me think of, like, the father standing there, like, kind of, like, up on his tiptoes with his hand over his eyes and his eyes squinted and just, like, watching with every part of his being, waiting for his entire, um, his, his entire soul just longing for his son to come home. And him doing that day after day after day and that anticipation building and building minute after minute. So that when he does see him far off, what is his reaction? Jesus says he ran to his son. In other words, he does what no dignified Jewish Middle Eastern person would ever do. You always walked with dignity. You never ran. But the father runs here. And he throws his arms around him and he kisses him, it says. Talk about a warm greeting. And that's when the son, he, he tries to get that speech out. He says, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The son doesn't get to finish his speech about becoming a servant because the father is too busy reminding him that he is a son he puts this robe around his shoulders, a sign of honor. He puts a ring on his finger, a sign of authority. He puts shoes on his feet, uh, um, a luxury that, that servants, they just didn't have. But all of that is building up to this next part. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. In other words, let the party begin. The father, he brings his joy right into the midst of, of, let's be honest, what was a very, very messy, awkward situation, and he transforms it. And not only does he transform it, but he invites everyone else to, to share in the joy that he is bringing to it. It is a beautiful picture of who our God is and what our God does. Our God is filled to the brim with joy. So much so that he could not help but to bring joy to our world. He created this world that's all around us, not out of a sense of duty, but because it was his joy that couldn't be contained. In fact, some people have said it's not enough to say that he spoke the, the world into being, but that he sang all creation into existence. He was having fun with it, you guys. It was his joy. It was this celebration. And in the same way, the, just like the father who runs out to bring the joy to meet his son, our God 
has run to us in the person of Jesus Christ to bring his good news of great joy right into the messiness and awkwardness of this earth. He watches for every single one of us. And he will not be satisfied until he welcomes every single one of us home, throwing his arms around us, kissing us, welcoming us back from the decisions and the circumstances that that sometimes we, we find ourselves in that tend to get us lost, whether we're more like the older or the younger brother. But God, he's, he's not mad at us as he sees us return. He accepts us, reminding us that we are indeed his children. This is true joy to the world. It is God's joy over each and every one of us. He brings his joy to our lives. It comes to us, and then we get to share that joy with others. We get to invite others to join the party as well. Um, You know, sometimes when people are down, um, or when you're down, maybe you've had someone do this to you, they'll just come up and they'll say, cheer up. And it's like, yeah, that, that sounds great. I wish I could just do that, right? Um, in fact, as a kid, I remember like one of the theme songs of, of uh, my generation was Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? Y'all remember that song? I'm not going to sing it for you today, so that's good news for you. But, um, but you know, so often we act like that's how joy works, that it's just like flipping a switch, right? Um, Pastor Adam, he was telling me this story this week. You know, sometimes you watch things play out, you're like, is this really happening? Um, but he was at lunch last Sunday, and um, the waitress that had been waiting on him was waiting on someone else near them. And he watched as the waitress went over to um, take care of the check with the customer. And the customer looked up at, at the waitress and said, are you having a good day? And she said, yeah, yes, actually I am. And she said, oh, well, do me a favor, tell your face. Right? Ouch. That did not bring joy to that waitress's life, I'm sure, right? Um, But, you know, like you stop and you think about how that could have gone different, right? Like looking at the waitress and maybe noticing she seemed a little stressed and saying, you know what? I bet it's crazy here on Sundays. I just want you to know you're doing a really good job. Or um, telling her a joke or um, leaving her a generous tip. Um, really doing anything other than what actually happened to bring joy into that situation. But, you know, it, it seems to me that, that if we, um, it, that it's hard for us to give joy if we don't have joy ourselves, right? But just like God can't help but to share his joy with us, the same is true for us. When it clicked that, that God loves us as fully and completely as he does when we really take in the joy that he has each for each and every one of us it's hard for us then to keep it to ourselves um this past week you might have seen that ashley johnson who worships at our 10:30 service was featured um on the news and in the newspaper she is our resident clark griswold this is her house um it's pretty tremendous. We took our boys out to see it the other night, and there was a lot of joy in that car, a lot of laughter, a lot of like, oh, look at this, look at that. Um, but if, you, if you've read Ashley's story, you know um, that, that this joy she now spreads with our community, that it actually started with her late dad. She says, he loved Christmas so much that he would put the tree up Halloween. <laughs> 
that love for Christmas has been embedded in me. And she says that when she's putting up the lights, that she can sense his presence with her. But think about that. The joy of the father having been shared with her is now something that she's sharing with her son and that she is sharing with all of us here in this community. That's how joy works. It starts with God. We receive it, and then we get to give it away. And so this Christmas, my prayer is that each of us would experience the joy God the Father has over each of us, that we would feel it, that we would allow him to run to us and embrace us and kiss us, that, that we wouldn't resist his attempts to remind us that we are his son or his daughter. Um, as, as we, you know, remember the star and we look at the manger, that all of that would just be a reminder of the joy that he brings to us and that we would jump in and we would join the celebration, bringing others along with us. And so... Let's grab a plate and let the party begin. Let's pray together today. Lord God, you are a God who celebrates over the one that comes home. You stand there waiting and watching up on your tiptoes on the horizon. You cannot wait to welcome us home. And so God, may the joy of knowing that we are so completely loved overwhelm us today and every day. May your joy well up inside of us. And then, God, may we spread that joy wherever we go. Amen. This song that we're going to do is uh, probably.